I'm Aiden. And I'm Nate. And welcome to On Air and Ensemble Stars podcast. Woo! So today we're going to be talking about um, one of the stage plays instead of any of the actual events. And and we're not doing news either because... There's not... Well, there's not much news and also it'll give us more time to talk about the stage play. Yeah, trust it, trust us. We'll get to like the, uh, the Ritsu story. So we had a friend in, in town who we wanted to show the stage plays to and so we all watched it together and we decided that um, we might as well go ahead and do an episode on it. Yeah. Instead of... Uh, even though we we pretty recently did a special episode. Um, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Why don't we talk about how we feel about the new casting choices? Okay. Comparing Memory of Marionette to the people who acted in the previous stage plays, which were the original one that adapted the main story, um, the Knights one that adapted uh, Judgment, and what else? I think those are the only two stage plays before this one. Okay, right. So yeah, a lot of characters from Marionette were in those stories. Obviously, Aichi's in every single stage play ever. And uh, there was also like all of Fine, all of Akatsuki. Rabbits. All of Rabbits all carried over from those previous two into Marionette. That's actually, that's every character except Shu and Mika. And every single actor except Nazana was replaced. I am fuzzy on the details of exactly why this happened. I don't think it's public information why all the actors were replaced. I know that it wasn't voluntary. Yeah, they um, were posting. You would see posts on Twitter or, or of Instagram screenshots of the actors talking about how sad they were that they weren't going to get to be in OnStars anymore. And it, yeah, it was really sad, and that made a lot of people, myself included, like, hesitant to, like, accept the new actors. Not anything against them. Obviously, they didn't do anything wrong, and nobody knows why they changed. But I end up liking most of the new actors, like, perfectly fine. Although I think overall I do prefer the old actors um, at large. So H.E.'s actor is a big drop in quality. Aichi's original actor had a very easy charm about him. He always looked kind of smug um, and like bemused, always like he was kind of enjoying himself. And it was perfect. And then this new actor is a, a bug-eyed serial killer. <laughs> He's a terrorist. I think I think this also has some to do with how H.E. is written in Marionette and Milky Way. You don't get to see all that much of like his side or like a genuine side of him uh-huh. um, because he's not in it as much, and it's also the stakes are much higher for him. Yeah, and he's uh, I mean he spends the whole time antagonizing Shu, so yeah. Who is, like, obviously the main character of the stage play. He's the one we're always following. Yeah, Except we need to Nazana, talk about this. Nazana is, like, the one who gets all the inner monologues. He's the one who is clearly meant to be the sympathetic heart of the narrative. But at the end, it's Shu and Mika who get to dance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, like, clear. It is, no, it, and it's Shu and Mika who are, like, huge on the poster. Like, this was about... This was about them, even though Marionette was originally like written to be basically from Nazano's perspective. And I feel like watching this, he he talks less than I remember. Like he monologues less than I remember. I they definitely cut some, which I don't think was a bad choice because Nazano had boring. chapters upon chapters of monologues. Yeah, <laughs> um, king shit. Um, so yeah, Hie's actor. Maybe it's not entirely his fault, but. He fails to bring any, like, charm uh, and silliness to the role. He's just, he's just terrifying. He is always making this face that is like this wide-eyed, forced grin that looks painful for him to maintain. If he's playing a villain, it's perfect, but it's not H.E. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We don't know his understanding of the character outside of this either, so 
I, I would understand if you like read all of Uchi's dialogue specifically in memory of Marionette, how you would come to this conclusion that he was like this super villain and want to like play him like that. Sure. And if that was the actor's intention, he did a fucking phenomenal job. Other characters I feel like are of note, Kato, I prefer his old actor. The new actor is fine. I, we don't know all these um, guys' names. We could look them up, but... We're not gonna We're, not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna call them the new guys and the old guys. Kato's new actor is very beautiful, and it's kind of distracting. Kato is a nerd. Come on. But the old actor is also pretty handsome. But yeah, but he's like normal guy handsome, and he looks kind of nerdy in the costume. Sure. Um, but about his performance, I feel like he is a bit too stiff as Kato. He, like, Kato is a pretty, you know, he's like the straight man, but he's also, he, he's also an on-size character, <laughs> which yeah. comes with, like, at least a bit of, like, silliness. Judgment Kato permanently stole the role when he leapt down from like the balcony and fucking rolled onto the scene when Ichi collapsed. He did like a full body armadillo sonic roll onto the onto the stage. I know I mean this all of this stuff also has to do with writing and so I don't want to like blame the actors because honestly they did completely fine serviceable jobs. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just kind of sad that the actors got in place, especially since it seems like most of them didn't want to stop so this stage play um, was both Shu and Mika's like first um, time being on like on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so their actors were entirely new to on stars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that Shu's actor is perfect and did a great job. Yes. Um, but let's talk about Mika for just a minute. Okay, wait. Before we move on to Mika, I want to say of the actors that did get replaced, Nasuna's actor might have been the only one that, like, I actually wish they had replaced. Really? Um, because... I think Nasuna's actor did good. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Mm. I think he strikes a pretty good balance of, like, Nasuna's, like, like sassy side, where he's, like, sm- kind of smug about, you know, all the stuff that he's managed to do. Um, but also, like come across like obviously he overplays it but it's everybody does because it's his stage play and that's like part of the fun i it's i will give you that he's great in that last scene Mm -hmm. um when he's like monologuing to valkyrie in a scene that i consider was kind of ridiculous and crappy as it was originally written yeah they kind of elevated it a little bit in the stage play yeah but i feel like most of that was not actor's performance he did a great job in like the previous stage plays he wasn't in the first one but in like um judgment that was like his whole character was like the you know after the after valkyrie mm-hmm. nazana and he was much, much more enjoyable. And so I think the actor was, like, originally did that, casted for, like, that type of role. But he had to, like, take on this, like, new side of him. Of, like, this yeah. character he already knew. Which when, ha- would probably be hard for anybody. When, during, like, particularly the marionette side of the story, Nazuna's actor does a pretty bad job of playing, like, a sympathetic figure. And uh, also when he's trying to talk and he chokes like he's got a fucking hot dog stuck in his throat, <laughs> it's so it's yeah. so dumb. But that is kind of just, like, what the original story was, too. It was, like, that stupid, because of course it was. Uh, I don't think so. There's a lot of touching... I feel like the touching moments from the story for the most part come across like really well and like have the same like emotional level to them. Anyway, um, let's move on to Mika's actor. Um, so I just want to talk about his performance just because I never see anyone talk about it. When I hear about this stage play, it's almost exclusively like about you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Mika's character was a little bit butchered in this stage play probably more than anybody else's which is kind of sad but makes sense i feel like the interpretation that either the actor the director had of like mika's character like being kind of like childish and you know i mean i would say both 
Probably, probably it's probably both. a domino effect from like screen adapter or stage adapter to director to actor. Um, and I think that it strips away like most of the emotional depth from Mika's character because mm-hmm. I feel like in the original stories, like you get to see like this stage play focuses very little on Mika. Um, in the original stories, you definitely get more of Mika's perspective, and you also like see like, the type of person he is more. Whereas the stage play, he really is just kind of, like, a cartoon character on the side. He acts like a fucking four-year-old when he has dialogue. And when he doesn't have dialogue, yeah, he's Elmer Fudd. He's, (laughs) he's like, engaging in slapstick antics. Um, It's entertaining. It is entertaining when when Shu is, like, ranting at Hie and Mika is, like, mimicking all of Shu's gesticulation. But it it is some, like, Peter Pan 1950s Disney cartoon shit. It's... It's definitely funny and entertaining, and I... I never find myself, like, not enjoying this stage play when I watch it. Um, but... It does strip Mika of, like, all of his character, basically. Seriously. And I feel like especially when after, you know, Ichi cuts the power to Valkyrie's live, that's, like, a really, really emotional moment. And it's, like, a big deal for Mika because he's the one who, like, steps up. Yeah. And that's, like, the first time that he steps up, which is something that he continuously does for Valkyrie from this point on, is, like, step up for the unit. But it has, like, no, like, depth in this show at all, I mm-hmm. feel. It's mm-hmm. almost entirely meaningless because neither before or after is Mika shown to have, like, done that. I feel like the one, like, like interesting dynamic or, like, narrative choice, like, about Mika that they really actually pushed instead of, like, diminishing was uh, his friendship with Nazana. Which is interesting. Uh-huh. I, I guess it, it goes to show it, it was still all in service of, like, Shu and Nazano's characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just felt like, like, all of the, like, emotional focus that Mika got was, like, that and also his devotion to Shu. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, he had, okay, he, the moment where he was threatening Eichi was briefly glorious. I, yeah. <laughs> I thought actually... That was the one thing that Mika's actor was allowed to actually like pull off, and um, and, and like like the one moment of dignity for the character. But then of yeah. course it was immediately destroyed when she was like, "Stop it, Kagehira!" And Mika like stomped off, whimpering like a toddler, and then curled up in a ball on the floor. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, um, that's that's the thing that happens a lot with Mika's character, like outside of the original stories is just that he gets like infantilized a lot for no real reason because he I mean, doesn't sometimes act... he gets infantilized in canon too I well not I don't feel like all that much mm-hmm. um let's take it a bit to the left let's talk about um the staging and costume design mm-hmm. um and such because I, I I think that's probably something that doesn't get talked about a lot with regards to these stage plays. Yeah, I mean, I would assume because the costume design is lift, lifted just entirely from like in in game art. Right, but there's still like aspects to like how they're put together, like the materials that they're made of that could be better or worse. Yeah, sure. I you mean, the costumes the costumes will definitely look cheap sometimes. I don't consider this to be, like, a problem at all, mm-hmm. because it's just so inconsequential The wigs are, the like, characters. the wigs are distractingly bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think that Aichi's wig is probably the biggest offender in this show. It doesn't fit the actor's head very well at all. The other actor pulled off his Aichi wig way better. Yeah, I feel like his head, like, the wig was definitely too big, and you could, like, see it moving around and stuff. Yes! <laughs> Um, but I never found, I never found the lack of quality of, like, the wigs or the costumes to, like, detract from the overall show, like, pretty yeah, much at all. Yeah, it is camp. It is theater. It, it's not about providing a visual spectacle of, of perfection. Yeah. But, um, just talking about the costume designs, I mean, I like all of them. 
I find the uh, Tanavana Festival outfits to all be really good. The Tanabata Rabbits outfits are so cute. Were they the ones, were they the outfits that got chosen to be brought to music? Yeah, they were. Good choice. Um, I, I like all the outfits. They all look great. Um, just in general. And I feel like the costume versions of them are also good because the outfits are good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to mess it up. They were professionally made, so they look fine. Uh, the wigs... A lot of them are bad. Some of them are fine. Like I said, very, very little impact on my feelings at all about this show. The lighting is very um, fun. It's very colorful and deliberate. Characters are assigned colors, and, and more often, actually, units are assigned colors, and lights of different colors will be set on the stage depending on who's talking, who's singing, who the focus is on. Um, I find that really fun. It's a very simple, um, almost childish thing, but it works perfectly for, for OnStars. Mm-hmm. The set design was funny. They, It's basically, if you haven't seen it, um, it's basically like two identical big platforms like circular platforms and then on the back wall there's a bunch of like gears and then scenery is projected like projected with light onto um these set pieces and sort of designed to wrap around them it can be really funny sometimes yeah to see like the sky above the school <laughs> rooftop like projected onto those gears. Yeah, so basically every background was in the shape of like three giant gears. Yeah. And it projected like backgrounds from the app like onto the gears and the platforms. And the thing is that it could um just be that when this was filmed, it wasn't filmed all that well, but they're very, very dull and hard to see mm-hmm. in the background. <laughs> but kind of pathetic. they're also entirely unnecessary for you to understand where the characters are, pretty much always, because the small little moving bits of the set, so when they bring like tables and chairs in or yeah. whatever, whatever, and also dialogue between the characters, very, very clearly tells you where they are so you which makes sense considering that um on stars is like a dialogue driven story and that's very common for characters to like make it clear where they are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so not being able to see like these projected backgrounds or not being able to realize like what background they are even is like not like detrimental to your understanding of the story they make really good use of those cute little set pieces too yeah they they like made like a craft room for all of valkyrie to hang out in and then they switch it up a little and it's the school rooftops let's talk about the the musical performances valkyrie's performances don't really have a comparison because they've never been in this stage place before. But like we for can the compare other them units, to other units, though. The other no, but I'm talking about like Akatsuki has performances in other stage plays. Mm-hmm. Ravitz has performances in other stage plays, and Fine yeah. has performances in other stage plays. Fine performances are always bad. Um, there's no good Fine performances in any of these stage plays. Um, it's really unfortunate, um, but not <laughs> but surprising. unsurprising. Yeah. Because Fine's not that good. Um, I do have to say, I think Fine's performance in this stage play is better than all of their other performances in the other stage plays. When the fuck do they... The Milky Way... Yeah, they do Trist, okay. of, they do Trist of Stars yeah. during... Um, when they're facing off of Valkyrie. You know what? Relatively, they put up a fight. They wanted to convince me that Fine could possibly win against Valkyrie. But the truth is that they can't. No. Um, in, a, in a fair world, they would not, but H.E. has money. The Akatsuki performances in the, stage, in the stage play are, like, good, but I actually think that they have better performances. But they're still fine. Ravit's performances in this aren't very good. Uh, they also, I think, have better ones. The Akatsuki performances are just... Yes, they have better ones, but within the context of this show, they're some of the most fun to watch. Yeah, I would Akatsuki always has... like get excited when Akatsuki came on screen. 
Akatsuki has great music, um, and, and, you know, it's fun to listen to it. It's fun to watch them, like, dance on stage and kick around and whatever with their little fans. Uh-huh. It's hard to... It's Beat hard on to their little enjoy. drums. But Valkyrie's performances were, like, the main spectacle of For this sure. stage play. There were tons of them. Yeah. Um, God, like seven? A lot. <laughs> And there was even an original song. Yes, this stage play has an original song called The Ark with an apostrophe. As in Jeanne. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good. You know, it's not the best Valkyrie song, but only because the competition is very stiff. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, the performance of it is fun. It really does. I don't know how to describe it, but it really does just kind of sound like a Valkyrie song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They have old Valkyrie performances of both of the old Valkyrie songs uh, with with Nazana, and those are honestly not X-Val- as good. X-Valkyrie are like X-Valkyrie. the oldest Valkyrie yeah. songs. No, yeah. I meant X-Valk. Yeah, yes. there's three. Dark is actually an X-Valk song. Oh, right, right, right. So there's three X-Valkyrie performances. They're not as good. I feel like Nazana holds them back. Because yeah. when Shu and Mika are allowed to like prance around the stage around each other, they're tons of fun. But uh, Nazana kind of centers them and keeps them grounded, yeah. it feels. Nazana was never good for Valkyrie, like, performance-wise. <laughs> I, I do not, to this day, I do not understand why Shu thought, like... <laughs> This guy makes our unit what it is. Because it's not true. And I think that really... It shows in these performances. Valkyrie is way more fun when it's just you and Mika. Um, well, you know, maybe when it was just you and Nazana, that yeah. was more fun than Shu, Nazana, and Mika. Valkyrie just makes way more sense as a two-person unit. That, yeah, because... Yeah. The ex-Valkyrie performances are still good. Castle on the Sand has made me cry for years and years and years. Um, and back before there were any adaptations of On Stars, I had always imagined that that would be the song that would play when mm-hmm. uh, H.E. Cut Valkyries live. Because it's called Castle of Because it, narratively it makes the most sense and it also has a part in the song that is like the perfect spot for that. And then for them to pick back up with Mika's <laughs> yeah, solo. Exactly. It's It was written for that. The lyrics are literally about the fall of Valkyrie, which is funny because it hadn't happened yet when she <laughs> wrote it in canon, but I guess he was having a hard night. Um, so I was really, really excited when that ended up being the song that played then. In the anime, it's not. I think it's Muwaki Geki that plays during that. Right. Or no, Seishin uh, and Yugi is what it was. Oh my god, really? Yeah. It's like the worst possible choice. It's the worst X-Valk song, but there's not all that many of them. Um, no, because Milwaukee Geki is what they played during uh, the Tenovana Festival. In the anime. Uh, but fuck the anime. We hate the anime. Um, <laughs> we'll do an episode about that in like two years. Because we like did a marathon of the anime like within the past six months and i'm still sick of it yeah i would not be willing to watch anime again um for a little while um all the performances with uh shu and mika though were really really great Mm -hmm. i uh really love how they put in just the rest of their songs at the end yes like thank you i did i would need to see those (laughs) exactly i would have been so pissed off if they didn't finish on Muwaku Geki. If they didn't hit us with Muwaku Geki like for the grand finale. Yeah. Because that is like... I know that there is literally a song that was written to be like Shu's victory song. Yeah. I know that there's a song like that that's not Muwaku Geki. But to me, Muwaku Geki is like the Valkyrie fucking reign supreme kind of song. Yeah. Well, it was like the OG Valkyrie song. It was like before Ryan Senka, which is the... Which is the like victory song or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, Song of Glory, I guess, and maybe Song of Worship. I don't know how to translate it, but that's they played that song in Milwaukee Geki at the very end, and they actually got out. They had some flags. Yes, shits around during victory song. They swirled their flags around, and then the very last song was Muwaku Geki, and they had they saved the dumbest dance moves for last. Oh yeah. They, they really they, knew they how to really, bring down the house. They really, really put everything. And that's the thing about 
this show is that like the main characters especially but you know everybody really just put everything into this performance and mm. that makes it so impossible it's to not enjoy it yes it's even though the story is like not adapted that well and it's kind of um it, it, it's not as compelling these are human beings who got up on a stage and like put their souls into it. Mm -hmm. There's it's mesmerizing to watch that no matter what. And it's great that it just happens to be Shuitsuki who is being filled with soul. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we talk about Shu now? He his I am gonna shout out his actor. Taiki Yamazaki. Can I see the picture of him without the costume on? Oh my god, look at him. He, he did... looks so different. He's probably been photoshopped a bit. Probably. He is the only choice. He was the only choice. If they ever replace Shu, I think that there will be rioting in the streets of Tokyo. I completely... Like, I was mesmerized by his performance, like, in this. Yeah. He... You can tell he just loves being on the stage and, like, performing. And it comes through because he has so much passion for, like, every line that he has... Every move that he makes is like him like doing exactly what he wants to be doing in that moment. Yes. And it is so It's fun. glorious. It's so fun to watch. It's, it's human magnificence. It, it, now, let me be clear. His decisions are not always good acting decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about that at all. No, no, no. Nothing to do with it, even in the, the slightest. The performance is incredibly over the top at every moment to, like, cranked up to, like, 100%. Yes. And there is no subtlety anywhere. But it doesn't, he doesn't need to. He made the right choice, I think, in <laughs> going all out. It's a human being on full blast. It's... God, and Shu Itsuki is like one of the very hammiest on Star's characters. Yeah. Like, who. It makes perfect sense for him to be the character that's, you know, going at a thousand speed, like all the time. Uh -huh. Just like constant, like never, no rest from he the is, dra dramatic. He is making the whole time. I swear to God, if you just put the show on silent and only watch the shoe scenes and just pay attention to what he's doing with his face, that alone will be fun. Uh -huh. He's so he's so good at his face. He's really really expressive and I think he part of what makes him so fun is that He's really expressive both with his body movements and his facial expressions. So I would imagine if you were there in the audience and you didn't have as good a view as we did having he would be a just as recording, good. you would still like get the same energy. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure makes him a great like live performer to see. He really was the main focus of I think this whole narrative. Yeah. He, I mean he's like statedly the focus of Milky Way. Yeah. And they just decided to tilt Marionette a little more in his favor so that he would be the binding aspect of the show. Mm -hmm. And also, but also like a lesser actor would not have made Shu so much the focus. But you can't help but focus on this Shu. There's nothing else worth focusing on when he's on screen. Yeah, when definitely when he is on the stage, it's about him. Until he leaves the stage. There's like no moment that he's like in a scene where you aren't like focused on him and what he's doing. Even when he's not the one talking, he's like acting. Yeah. He's over there acting. Mm -hmm. And you <laughs> can't miss a second of it. He does not stop. He doesn't stop acting. He's fucking hard out. And it's so fun. And that carries over entirely into the like perform the uh, song performances <laughs> he gives everything bro when he's dancing when he's dancing he's a machine he's unstoppable he looks incredibly ridiculous and it is so much fun it's perfect um i never get sick of watching him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have watched all like even all the way through to like the end of like the cast speeches just because like He's so much fun to watch. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I haven't watched the interviews. How is he in the interview? Is he like 
more normal, or is he still crazy hammy? Um, he's still pretty hammy, but not, you know, he's not a, playing a character anymore, so not quite so much. But it's like, it's like that, that's just the guy he is at the end of the day. Yeah, I know he does like he, live he's a Twitch streamer, stuff, but I've never watched any of them. Does does he play video games? I always imagined I him as a let's player. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Um, let's let's look that up real quick. We will have to update you in another episode because we just spent like five minutes looking for his live streams and we can't find them. If you are listening and you can point us in the right direction, an email would be much appreciated. Definitely the best part of the stage play is the scene where Shu gives a monologue during the Xbox Final Live. I would disagree. I think the best part of the stage play is when they do bewitching theater at the end. <laughs> that, that's like after the show, basically. It, it, I, I feel like it's part of the show. I mean, I've, the, line, the line is blurry. Um, it's interesting how blurry the line is. Because, like... They constantly... Here's something we can talk about. Mika's constantly breaking the fourth wall. Oh, yeah. No, that he does that constantly. It's so out of nowhere, but for it's some reason... It's bizarre. Judgment did not have a character in it that was constantly breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. They they did it, like, with equally, like, only sometimes. Yeah. They In fact, they kind of took turns with it. Like, at the beginning... Of every few scenes, a character would come out and chat with the audience, like Hajime and Leo and Tsukasa, too. Duh. But Mika's... Mika, I'm pretty fucking sure, is the only character that breaks the fourth wall ever in this show. They even play with, like, other characters being around while Mika does it. Like, at the end, when, like, they sit down on the throne and Mika turns to the audience and he's like, all right, guys, didn't we have a great time? And then Shu gets up to leave. And Mika's like, Oshisan, Oshisan, come back. But Shu, like, No, it's just because Shu isn't interested in entertaining plebeians. It has nothing okay, to do no, with but it. can or can't see the audience. No, but it's perfect because it blurs the lines. Like, yes, it's both in character, perfectly in character, but it also, like... It suggests that Mika is the only one who's interacting with the audience. Mika is the only one who interacts with the audience, even while there's other characters walking through the audience. It's really just mm-hmm. to give the illusion of them walking together for a long time. Whereas, like, Mika actually interacts with the audience. I'm pretty sure that no one else does. He also is constantly like, oh, I feel like people are looking at me, or I feel like people are laughing at me right now. Yes. And he also, when something weird that happens just because it has to because of it's a stage play and not like real life he's like oh that's weird like how he's like oh it's weird that this tea will stay in the glass if i pour it over or oh it's weird how your cup foam went through the wall how did that happen and he does this like in every scene and no one else does it and nobody (laughs) else acknowledges that he said anything the I only other like... person who does this would be Nazana when he pulls out the tuna and does the tuna bit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, you guys don't get my tuna pun? Well, let me explain t- how tunas work he for stops. you. He stopped. I don't think this was in the story. No, and... he was selling, he was, Mitsuru was like running around and stuff. And he's like, what, do you always have to be on the move? You're like a tuna. Yes. And like, what the hell does that have to do with tunas? And he's like, well, you see. And he pulls out he a tuna from his pants. He pulls out he's a like, plastic tuna. You see, tunas must always be swimming so the air can pass through the gills. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> it's the most... It's the, like, most memorable moment Nazana has, weirdly. And for, like, all the wrong reasons. Um, but I do think that's the only other time that the fourth wall gets broken. I feel like even then, Nazana's just kind of towing the fourth wall. Yeah. Mika, Mika is really sticking his head through yeah. and looking around and being like, hey, is anybody in there? Yeah. Like, he, he... And the thing about it is that he's the perfect character to pick for that. I was just thinking, <laughs> like, if anyone, it would be him. Yes. Yeah, for, like, so many reasons, but within this stage play, especially because he's believably too stupid to understand, and so it generates this almost 
almost believable and like interesting character conflict where this guy is the only person in the world who's aware that he's fictional but is too stupid to grapple with the implications yeah so there's like this like sort of uneasiness but he he can only let it get to him so much because he doesn't understand why it should be scary. <laughs> and so he's like, mm, I don't know about this. Oh, well, I guess it's probably fine. And then keeps going on with whatever he was doing. Um, and it's, it is pretty funny, honestly, as like a running bit in the show. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like further bastardization of Mika's character, but they took it so far already that this is like nothing on top yeah. of it. It really is, it really is a shame what happens to Mika. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, I feel like the emotional gravity of Valkyrie as a whole. And in this story, it's like that emotional gravity is gone. All you're because... left with is Shu's emotional gravity, which is like nasty and you don't want to get caught up in it. Because, I mean, truly, Mika is the heart of Valkyrie. Mika's the reason that Valkyrie kept going. So to, like, take away, like, all genuine... Like, Mika has lines where he's like, you know, my life belongs to you, or whatever, and I'll stick by you forever, which is stuff that he says, but it just doesn't have much weight behind it. Even though, at this point, when it comes to, like, at the end of Milky Way, if you've ever like read Marionette and then read Milky Way like close together, you really feel that way because Mika has worked really, really hard to get to that point where he can say like we're gonna be together forever because he made it happen. And there's just none of that like weight when he says that. Oh, well, part of that's because like all of that story's cut out. There's, oh yeah. They, they, they don't present us with an in between story or an in between moment even to show how Mika is dragging Shu back to the land of the living, like there's, happened in canon. Well, a lot of the story gets cut. It is in like Milky Way, especially. Mm. It's written in that story, but most of that got cut out so that they could fit two stories into one stage play. Which I think was the right choice because I think if one of them had taken up the whole thing, it would have been way too long and boring. Like what happened with the Judgment of Nights. Mm. <laughs> so, um, but it does really just kind of it's... make Mika's character into nothing. Yes, Almost it's such a entirely drag. unessential for the Mika, story. In OnStars, Mika and Shu's dynamic is so interesting, specifically because of the like the 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 contrast between the fact that like Mika v- and Shu both view Mika as subordinate to Shu, but in reality like Shu completely has Mika to thank for being alive and being active creatively. Yeah. And that's, there's none of that here. Mm-hmm. Mika is Shu's little fucking shitty white dog. Yeah. <laughs> Mika is Shu's purse poodle. Fuck. Who's like badly behaved. So it's just kind of sad. It, the dynamic of Valkyrie just like definitely isn't the same and isn't as good. Still all worth it, though, for Shu's performance. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. The lack of Shu in the other stage plays becomes a, a, a pit, a yawning chasm that really makes it clear like how much he made the, the whole thing work. Yeah. Okay, you wanted, you wanted to talk about the story. Yeah, you know, we're going to read Marionette and Milky Way eventually, I guess. And we can yeah. go in-depth on those stories. But I want to know, like, what are some of the things... Because you are intimately familiar with both those stories. Especially Milky Way, which is, if I may say it, your very favorite OnStar story yeah, ever. Yeah, I've said it before on the show. And so... Uh... And so, so you're intimately familiar with them. You know what got cut. What got cut? What all exactly got cut? A lot of, like, Fine's stuff got cut out of Milky Way. Milky Way has probably the same amount of Fine scenes as it does uh, Valkyrie scenes, but I feel like the focus is much more heavily 
on not only Valkyrie, but like other characters like Rabbits and Akatsuki doing it. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's skewed a little. I feel like there's a better balance. Right, because Kato, Kato has that one scene in the original Milky Way. Kato has basically that one scene with the arrow wish yeah. that gets like bloated kind of into a whole affair in this uh So this there's show. there's less Fine, less Valkyrie, or probably about the same amount of Valkyrie, I guess. Um there's like little bits like uh Shumika is interacting like before they um have confront Aichi. Some of that's cut out. Mm, mm-hmm. Um Wataru talks a lot to Aichi um at the beginning of the story or in Tori also. And that's almost entirely cut out, I think. Mm. Um but nothing incredibly plot relevant. I mean the basic plot of the, of Milky Way comes across Entirely, I mean, Eiji threatens Valkyrie, and then Valkyrie face off with Fine. And that's basically, like, everything that actually happens in the story. Um, I don't know if it comes off quite this way in the original uh, story, which I have read just, like, only once. But it's so fucking funny how Eiji went to all this trouble of arranging a battle with shoe which he like rigged to win in the first place because he only won because of money because fine sucks so like he's whole goal wasn't like oh i just want to see shoe sparkle it really was like i want to crush shoe again yeah it's hilarious. It feels almost like a subversion of Aichi's character because Aichi is usually characterized by a love and admiration for idols, even the ones that he feels he has to destroy. But here, it's like he wants to destroy Shu again solely out of pride or, or lust, maybe. So I definitely have thoughts on this. Um, the, look, I've read Milky Way a billion times. I know it better than I know myself. And I've thought about this a lot. Um, so, but I'm not going to get too, too into it because we will cover Milky Way eventually. Okay. But my, what I think happened and I feel like is more evident in the original because H.E. has like talks about if he should even do this in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think that he did genuinely want to shoot to try to come, like make a comeback and he set up this for you to make a comeback. Um, but he didn't want he didn't want Shu to outshine him for that comeback. He just wanted him to be able to, like, get his feet on the ground. And uh-huh. so he, like, arranged uh-huh. this performance that he knew that he would win for sure. Um, but that... It was still, like, wasn't something that Shu so would... so crushing that it would, like... But I, on the other end, it does seem very much like H.E. just wants you out of the way forever because he's intimidated because he's coming back. I think either one of those readings is pretty valid. Um, and I don't think either one would undermine Aichi's character. Mm. Um, they cut out at the end what I felt like was an important scene was Shu and Kanata talking. Mm. They cut that out entirely, I'm assuming, because they didn't want to hire an actor to play Kanata for one scene. Um, but that... But fuck, it sucks because it's, it's a, a great scene. It's a good scene. Uh, read Milky Way. It's a really, really great event. Um, if I was into On Stars when that came out, I would have just absolutely lost it. That scene un- did unfortunately get cut, and it was replaced by she talking to Mademoiselle just a little. Which, like, which number one, over. totally strips the scene of, like, um, a lot of the emotion that came from, like, seeing and being reminded that Shu has people who care about him mm-hmm. besides Mika. Um, and it just sort of reinforces the idea of, like, lonely, kind of crazy guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also, like, so much of the dialogue that was great is just, is just lost. They did do this thing, though, where Shu was, like, where, where Shu had Mademoiselle say something that Kanata actually said in the original story, and then Shu was like, ah, yes, my friend said that to me earlier. Mm-hmm. So, I, so they, they, they threw it a bone, and they I appreciate like, We didn't that. forget, we just literally couldn't make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Funniest, funniest part this time, and this is like my sixth time watching Memory of Marionette because it's Nate's favorite movie. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, the thing is, I have seen the stage play so many times. I think when I first got my hands on it, I watched it three times in a row. 
I was obsessed with the stage play for a while. That was years ago now. Um, but I still watch it like every you know few months probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I before this, I the last time I watched it was probably about six months ago. Um, maybe a little more than that. Um, yeah, and I feel like I noticed and appreciated things more and different this time than I have even having watched it that many times. Um, I feel like the ever appreciation, like ever evolving appreciation I have for Onstar stories and characters that I like really are always going to make this like... An interesting experience every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's really special about Onstar's just in general. Um, Going back to revisit anything that, you know, you've read before or watched before. Kind of a positive side effect of how elastic the characterizations are. And, um, so I probably won't ever get tired of watching it. I'll probably watch it forever. Our friend Zoe, who watched it with us, um, she is an ice skater. And she said she really wanted to see this show on ice. Which was revolutionary. Yeah, obviously I never thought of that before, but it's so true. It would look, it would be magnificent. Yeah. I know that Shu's actor could still pull off the performance of a lifetime <laughs> on roller skates. They might have to lip sync. I ice skates, honey. I mean ice skates. Shit, roller skates too though. The funniest gag in the whole thing this time, and it's it changes <laughs> from time to time. Um, but the funniest gag this time was the cup phone. Which, which is always reliably funny, but this time I really appreciated how Shu walks all the way across the room. The string is like infinitely long. They, it's, they took like a whole yarn and then tied another yarn to it. And it like stretches through the window and Shu's, I imagine, is on like the second floor and raised down in the courtyard. So it's so fucking long and he walks all the way into the room with it and Mika and Nasuna like play it, snipping at it and measuring it. And then he lets it go and it just flies back into the wall. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was some Sesame Street shit. It was I'm really, free. Really I clapped. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the summary of like watching this. I'm three. I clapped. Because it's just so much fun. Yeah. It's almost hard to like take it seriously or like critique it seriously because it's just like. It's fucking silly and it's good. Well, we have talked probably quite enough. Let's go on to our end segment. We got our very first listener um, re- listener request for our end segment from Isis Alexander, who says, I have a, a fun- super fucking sweet email. Super thank sweet you so guy. much. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it was very sweet, so thank you. Um, okay, so they said, I do have a fun question, though. Are you pro-Mullet Kanata or anti-Mullet Kanata? I'm personally obsessed with Mullet Kanata. I'm, uh, it's mostly because I really like mullets, which is proudly displayed by my undying love for Ray. Okay. Well, your taste is bad, but... Thank you. <laughs> Here's what I have to say to this. You're so, wrong about everything. <laughs> there's a time and a place for a good mullet. I'll give you that. Yeah, but that time and that place is like a rugged, kind of stocky, middle-aged man. I think that Ray, as a character, it makes the most sense for him to have the mullet. And then Karu, who I also think of as, like, distinctly a mullet character. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) It makes sense for him to have one, too. Karu is a mullet guy. But if we're talking specifically about Kanata... His mullet is part of his, like, story. It's part of who he used to be, and it's symbolic. Yeah, right? a and symbolic so, mullet. I, you, when a character has, like, hair, and it's, like, you know, symbolic like that, and then they cut it off or they grow it out, I'm a fucking sucker for it. Really? I love that shit. Because, oh. like, you know, hair... I, it's really, really important to like so many people in so many cultures, yeah. and it's like such an expressive medium. To, it's like so such an effective way to like express a character changing or like grieving or like experiencing something. Because I mean, it's like a thing. You change your hair when you want to change yourself, and so 
I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> I love it. I like to see, you know, second year Kanata with his long ass mullet and then he doesn't have it anymore because he, you know, went through a significant change. You know, I'll 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 give you this. I do love to see that Kanata does not have his mullet anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that they reminded us of how ugly Kanata could have been so that we could better appreciate how ugly he's not because he does not look good with the mullet. When in his card, okay, fuck, let me look up his card. God, it's ugly. You know, you know, his Meteor Impact card looks so good, but the mullet is bad, it's ugly. I don't really know why, this is something that I've mostly noticed predominantly in gender bends of characters, especially male characters, where they'll just have the same haircut, but then it's just long in the back, but the rest of it's short, resulting in like a mullet. And I don't understand why they feel like they have to keep the original haircut and just like make yes. one third of it longer. Like you can change yeah, their it. Their hair okay. just get longer. So I don't like that aspect of it, but conceptually I love it. Um, and Kanata's Meteor Impact card is incredible. So I'm pro Mullet Kanata. I'm guessing you're against it. If Mullet Kanata has zero haters, I am no longer alive. I think mullets are very well utilized in OnStar's character design. <laughs> it's like the title of your thesis paper. <laughs> okay, okay, so here's a question. Here's a very serious question. Does Mika have a mullet? And this has been a debate that I have partaken in so many times. The answer is yes. Mika has a baby mullet. Mika's got the beginnings of a mullet. Mika, you know what? He used to, but in his cards now, I feel like it's shorter. And in his 3D MV model, his hair is shorter in the back. But Mika used to have a mullet. I always draw Mika with a crappy little mullet. I think he has the beginnings of one, yeah. It's and it's like it's like just on his neck, Mm -hmm. but that's like part of what makes it great. I am pro mullet Mika. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think it, it it makes more sense for him than it does for Kanata, who is like supposed to be the most beautiful guy in the world. Mika's also supposed to be beautiful. I guess she, there's a lot of times when she was like, your only virtue is your beauty, but I never got that. I think Mika's kind of goofy looking. I think he looks totally normal. I mean, he has the most normal haircut. He has <laughs> idle anime boy face and body. Well, he, he does is have that. Simple looking, and that's totally fine. But he does have the eye thing, which you know some people like and some people don't. I guess. I like the eye thing fine. Yeah. Anyway, um, Mika's like a good character to have the eye thing. That's true, because he's, like, the least likely character to make a thing out of it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. Yes. <laughs> um, everybody else makes things out of it more than he does. Anyway, thank you so, 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 so much for your incredibly sweet email and for giving us a fun question to discuss. Yeah. You want to say bye? Bye. Oh, <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> I was going to count us down. <laughs>